0: all right welcome back to the tank me later podcast which is now part of fantasy basketball international really excited about that move and excited to be working with everyone i know adam king was basically my co-host for like two months straight or something like that anyway so not too much is going to be changing uh but for this one episode 25 b-dub from fantasy basketball international is going to be joining me to talk about the pacific division All right. So you just saw our new intro music. And if you're watching it, you got to see it as well, more than just hear it. Before we get into today's episode, I just want a quick reminder that sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity. And I want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sports book accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits. And there has never been a better time to sign up. When you visit my page, which is signupexpertcom T M L. You'll be connected to all the sports books in your region, along with a review of each platform and its unique benefits. All of these sports books have valuable sign-up offers for new users, and when you register through my link, you will automatically receive the top offer at each one. When you use multiple sports books, you ensure that you can always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. If you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our brand, please consider signing up for your next sportsbook at signupexpert.com tml this is the Tank Me Later podcast. Like I said, B-Dub, which I'm going to go ahead and bring him on now, is going to join me to talk about the Pacific Division, fantasy outlooks, maybe a little bit of Dynasty stuff as well. Before we get into that, most importantly, B-Dub, how are you?
1: Not too bad, mate. It's a beautiful day um, down under, down here, uh, as you can probably see behind me. Um, not a lot planned for today, Um Taking the kids out later this afternoon, so um, and doing a bit of work on the World Cup. So that's that's how I am, mate. And how about you? How about yourself?
0: I'm doing really well. It's uh, the week is almost wrapped up here. I know you're, you know, twelve hours or ten hours ahead of me. Ten hours in the future, we can say it like that. Um, But yeah, everything's going well here. Excited to uh, be doing more podcasts and doing it for FBI now.
1: Yeah, absolutely, mate. And we're thrilled to have you on board. Uh, Obviously, as you know, because we told you, we were uh, watching you produce your budding podcast from afar and um, it's conversations about uh, how well we thought you were doing and then one thing led to another and here we are. Um, Happy days for everyone.
0: Yeah, very happy. I'm very appreciative that you guys thought that, but we'll go ahead and get into uh, the content for today, which, you know, like I said, I think a couple times now we're talking about the Pacific division. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and throw those slides up on the screen. If you're watching, so you can follow along. Um, and yeah, we'll just go ahead and get into these teams. Um, we will start with the Lakers who finished 43 and 39 in the regular season last year, uh, made a run to the Western conference finals after finishing as a seven seed uh, beating the Grizzlies, beating the warriors, and then just running into the eventual NBA champions. Um, you know, I think exceeded expectations a little bit from everybody outside of Lakers fans, considering how they finished during the regular season, but proved once again, it's hard to bet against LeBron and AD in the playoffs. And BW we'll start by talking about AD. So currently, I believe his ADP, I guess, depends on if you're on Yahoo or Fan Tracks, is either right around the first round, maybe last pick or two, or maybe just early in the second round, how confident are you spending a first-round pick on Anthony Davis?
1: Um, I would say I'm not at all confident um, spending a first-round pick um, on AD. Um, I would – I mean, I, I I, have done it. I think around the turn there is all right, maybe even a little beforehand. I think on paper, he stacks up just fine. Um, you know, if you, even if you're not going to get, uh, you know, prime offense, um, great shooting AD, like we've had in years past, particularly uh, in that bubble title run, um, he's still going to bring you uh, a lot of rebounds, um, defensive stats um, of all sorts, and he's still going to score and give you good uh, percentages as well. Um, but having said that, I, think, I guess it is a stigma um, that he has this perpetual injury risk um, and stigma in the sense that I do believe he actually played um, like a very reasonable amount of games last season. And probably that stigma comes from him leaving the court a lot, you know, clutching his shin or his knee or, you know, constantly going to the locker room. But the guy also seems to be like an incredibly fast healer because he doesn't tend to like miss massive amounts of time. Um, so yeah, I guess I am definitely comfortable taking him around that turn. I wish he would score a bit more that would push him up for me. And, um, yeah, if he had, I guess, if I had less concern about his longevity, uh, the ability to sort of, um, play a full season, I'd be higher on him as well. Um, but I guess I'll sort of go back to a, a philosophy that I've, uh, sort of espoused for the last season or two, which is. I think we're kind of coming toward the end of an epoch here with the current, um, you know, uh, crew of sort of older players. Your know, Chris Pauls, your know, Lebrons. I know AD is a bit, um, quite a few years younger than LeBron, but I just feel like the NBA is transitioning to the new crop, um, and you know, the game's maybe getting a bit faster. Some of the rules have loosened up, more possessions, um, and that kind of thing. So. Uh, I, like when there's a tiebreaker needed, I sort of tend to gravitate toward the younger, um, the younger sort of um, players, um, and AD doesn't really fit into that mold for me. So, yeah, totally cool. Early second, very late first, but um, I'm probably not getting him in a lot of leagues. There's a few other guys I like at the end of that first more than him.
0: Yeah, just looking at Yahoo's ADP. Um, he's that's 11.6 Kevin Durant's right before him at 11.1 right after it's LaMelo Anthony Edwards so I think that's two guys for me based off ADP that I'd probably be taking above AD I have more confidence taking him this year than I had last year at this time definitely and I think it's you know he was able to play in 56 games last year which was you know it doesn't seem like a lot it seems like he, he missed more than you'd expect from the average player but he had played in 40 and 36 the two previous seasons so I think getting 56 games out of him was very you know great considering probably what a lot of people expected which is the reason his ADP is back in the first round I don't remember actually off the top of my head if he was a first round ADP uh last year as well but with that being said I think for me just based off who else is around there I probably wouldn't end up taking him in the first round. I think early second is fine, but there's guys right after, like I said, LaMelo and Anthony Edwards are guys that I would probably rather spend a pick on, but even, and I, we'll, we'll talk about Kevin Durant a little bit more later when we get to the Suns, but it's interesting to see both of them kind of go right there at the end of the first When on a per game basis there. I mean, AD was fourth last year, according to basketball monster, and KD was fifth. So obviously it's that games played caveat, but mm. yeah, that that's how I feel about it. I'm probably not going to get 80 in too many leagues.
1: Well, um, referencing the fantasy basketball international, um, draft only ADPs, yeah. um, Davis has been going 12th overall, um, on average, uh, he's got an ADP of 11.24 and that oh. is after Dame and just before. Graham Jackson Jr. And with Trey Young and then Anthony Edwards, two guys that I'd probably mm, look at before him
0: um, coming in at 14 and 15. Yeah. I think it's interesting looking at, and this is, again, this is probably my like my thing is to just get absolutely off topic and off track. But you mentioned, what was Trey Young's ADP there? Uh, it was 15. Yeah. I think that's very reasonable for him. And yet somehow on Yahoo's ADP is 21.8. And I know I'm a Hawks fan. I know I get uh, on rants about it. And I'm I'm trying not to be just because I'm really biased. I think there's no reason for him to go that late. I think it's that there's just no reason for him to go that late and has nothing to do with me being a fan. So I'm happy to see him going earlier in FBI drafts than he is on Yahoo.
1: Well, a little wrinkle to what I just said. Uh, I actually opened up the wrong ADP sheet um, initially. Uh, It hasn't changed dramatically, but he's actually 11th overall. So he's crept up above Damien Lillett and he's uh, he's still sit- sitting ahead of, um, of Jaron Jackson Jr., Anthony Edwards and Trey Young. Uh, and the other difference versus what I said before is Jaron Jackson sort of dropped from 13 down to 14. So Jaron's sort of slightly moving down uh, while AD is um, slightly moving up. And um, my guess is that that is a response to Analysts such as Josh Lloyd, um, you know, publishing their projections.
0: I was going to add significantly higher than um, JJJ. That's. I, I was in my mind. I was formulating the question. Do you think that's because of Josh's single-handed crusade to make everybody hate blocks?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, I'm pretty on board with Josh's uh, point of view there. I think actually that's. No, I agree. Yeah, it's been one of the. I think that's actually been. And the great differentiator in fantasy over the last probably ten years uh, is that everyone sort of got really addicted to using basketball monster and similar um, you know uh, you know similar uh, forecasting uh, projecting um, websites as a uh, tool to help them um, build their squads and uh, yeah sort of going strictly on projected rankings does has sort of tended to um hurt less experienced managers um, in their drafts because they are undervaluing things like points, boards, and assists. And that's given managers that are sort of cognizant of that a bit of an edge. Uh, but now with Josh Josh's sort of as you say, his new crusade and his uh, I think he's uh, calling it his Durant um, rating um, metric, um, we may we may see that um, shift um, over the next few years. Um, but that'll open up more opportunities. So,
0: yeah, I'm definitely guilty of using the, uh, the Z scores and like basketball monster rankings. Cause I think it's one very simple and easy to use. And two, that's just what I thought was right. Like even more recently, I feel like I have I've learned a lot within the last few months, just listening or reading through his tweets and just having a better understanding of what that means. So I, I agree. I just, I labeled it as his crusade because i want to make sure that uh i mean he's been very active about it but um like i said i get off topic but we'll move on to the next thing um yeah. what do we expect from lebron i'm i'm sure if you have his adp as well i'm just looking at um i think on yeah, yeah. adp wise
1: um lebron is actually going uh very very late um he's going at 29 uh, so rank of 29, but actually an ADP of 30.13, which happens to just rank him 29th. And this data I'm looking at through 60 draft only. So it's, it's reasonably sub, uh, substantial um, uh, sample size. Uh, and what do I expect from LeBron? I ex- sort of expect more of the same. I think the one difference, the, the difference between LeBron and just anyone else, all right, yes, he's a freak of nature the way he's built. Um, But the dude also just, like, looks after himself incredibly well. I think that, you know, like, I mean, you hear stories of him jumping into ice bars and stuff, like, directly after playing. And um, obviously he's very sort of disciplined and um, and, and, and the like. So, uh, I mean, actually LeBron and I are only a couple of weeks apart in terms of our age. So he's... He's only like very, very uh, marginal. I think that's actually only one week. I think he's a week older than me. So um, I guess where I'm going with that is uh, like I don't, I feel like 38, yeah, you sort of past your prime, but it's like not too far past your prime. And then if you'd been, if you'd been really looking after yourself, maybe you've sort of you, you, your body is still, still more, still like that early 30s. I, I could just see how that would be possible, I guess, is what I'm saying. And if you're going to be going to the extreme lengths that LeBron does to preserve his body, um, then I don't see him necessarily falling off precipitously like some other um, sort of aging NBA players tend to do. Um, and yeah, he's going to miss some games. Yeah. He's probably going to get a few more niggling injuries and things like that. You factor that in and that's why he's getting drafted in the thirties, but like over under on whether he outperforms,
0: um, that ADP. I mean, I'd probably say he does. So you weren't going to say that the weak difference in your age is, is evident in the difference in athleticism. Like he really looks like, like a week older than you, like you can kind of tell that difference.
1: Uh, LeBron looked 10 years older than me. Uh, for the last ten years, um, yeah, I constantly look at LeBron and go, "Well, there's a man," and then I just don't think of myself at, in the same in the same way. Um, I mean, probably caught up a bit now, but um, yeah, definitely like when I was in my, you know, my late twenties and early thirties, I'd look at LeBron and compare him to me and just be like.
0: How how we the same age. <laughs> oh, I I was saying that he's noticeably older than you with that extra week and that he looks way less athletic. That's what I was oh, getting
1: at. Yeah.
0: No, nah, no. Nah. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I just I just think that um, you know, based on my, my own sort of experience, um, and you know, playing a bit of hoops and, and playing tennis and whatever myself. Um yeah, I don't necessarily think uh it's a beta complete that when you get to you know 30 38 39 years old that you can't keep up with um people that are 10 years younger than you uh, apparently you can't go too much longer than that but yeah i don't know i, I seem to have seem to have a, like a bit of confidence in lebron's uh, ability to
0: get in a couple more seasons yeah i think definitely a few more seasons of playing i just question how much he's actually going to play during those i mean we look at it the last three seasons 55, 56, and 45 games played. Uh, but yet, I mean, looking at the minutes, it's kind of surprising to me every time I look at it. He played 35 and a half minutes last year and 37.2 the year before. So when he's on the court, he's playing and he's playing at a high level. I question whether the Lakers will start to manage his minutes. You know, I would say they're already managing his games, obviously, he still has injuries, but giving him rest when they can give it to him i wouldn't be shocked if his minutes start to go down so i think that's something to maybe kind of be mindful of because they made to the conference finals last year but i feel like lebron was if i'm not mistaken ready to play like he had injuries throughout the year so i think if they're able to have him be healthy or healthier even than he was last year when they made it to the conference finals, they're probably, I mean, obviously it's the Lakers, they have LeBron, like their goal is to win a ring. So I question more so than just about anybody else in the league, how much are they going to be managing his minutes and managing his games?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, So I think there's a couple of things there. So number one, you know, the league has introduced these rules, I don't know how impactful they're going to be. Um, you know, around resting players, but probably more importantly, um, the minimum games required to qualify for awards, which I think the latter there would be a more substantial factor in thinking about LeBron. So whilst he um, uh, probably isn't gunning for MVP, I think that's safe to say, you know, I'm reasonably sure that he'd still be looking to, you know, get on all NBA teams and, Um, you know, there'd be other accolades that uh, he'd be chasing. Um, So I'd sort of feel, uh, I I sort of think that what you articulated there, that we could see his minutes come down, but that could also mean that he, he actually plays more games. So instead of playing 35, 36 minutes a game and playing 50, 50 games, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's 60, 65 games at 30 minutes a game. And with the, I mean, just leading into the next um, topic here, with the rise of an Austin Reeves, um, you know, uh, and actually, I think the Lakers had a pretty productive off season, um, uh, retaining the key guys, um, uh, bringing in, uh, is it Struce I think it is. Um, is it Streus or no? The other Miami Streus went to Cleveland. Oh, Gabe, Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent. Thinking Gabe Vincent. Um, I think they had a pretty solid off-season, Christian Wood coming in, not that he's like a sort of a uh, a game changer or anything like that, but um, they got some, like, I think they got better depth um, this year. Um, they can probably afford to um, uh, give LeBron fewer minutes, which might just mean that he plays more games. And I think that would actually be good for his fantasy, though.
0: Yeah, and I, one last point about, games play because you mentioned the rules of the 65 game threshold and then the other rule they introduced about not resting the same star on a back-to-back and I think introducing both those in the same offseason we don't really have anything to look at of the theory that I've seen a couple people say is what's to stop teams from starting a player saying go foul them and then take them out after five seconds because they started the game they played the game Mm -hmm. so is the NBA going to crack down on that our team is going to let us know ahead of time hey we're still playing him, quote-unquote, but he's not going to play much tomorrow. So, like, are we going to get that or teams just going to kind of pull it off? So I'm very curious uh, whether teams will do that because I'm sure that if somebody spends a ton of money on a ticket because Steph or LeBron is coming to town and they only come once a year and they play one, two minutes and then foul and then come out and rest. So it's – I hope it doesn't happen, but I think it's something that – if it does happen, I'm not gonna be surprised about. I think that categorically won't happen. I think
1: that would be flying in the face of the spirit of that rule too much, even for the NBA to stomach. And you would you probably are gonna see that, but it's gonna be more like they play eighteen minutes or sixteen minutes. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. One or two. Um, like that was uh Drew Holiday coming on uh for, for, for one mm-hmm. play to get his bonus. Yep. I think I think in that um, context, yeah, right. that's totally fine. But um, you know, if you're just sort of uh, taking the piss out
0: of the NBA's brand new ruling, I think that oh, would they won't like that. On, um,
1: that'd be frowned upon. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so we'll move on to the next one. Are we buying the Austin Reeves hype? He, uh, you know, i just his numbers from last year: thirteen points, three rebounds, three point four assists. Half a steal 0.3 blocks, one point three threes very efficient. he shot fifty two point nine from the field eighty six point four from the line and one and a half turnovers per game he broke out in the playoffs was phenomenal and then made team USA. I think there was he received criticism or maybe just general people questioning why is this guy playing for team USA but he played really well for them and I think, you know maybe some people have the expectation specifically lakers fans that he's going to be competing for an all-star spot this year i i just entirely disagree i think my my take on it is austin reeves is a very good basketball player he deserved to probably get paid more than he did and he's going to be awesome for the lakers this year but he's not going to take some dramatic step for fantasy basketball i don't think that he's going to be some incredible player that is a league winner in in fantasy because people got him. I mean, I don't, I can look up his ADP. I've seen him go in like the eighties quite a few times and I just, I can't see him. 98 on FBI. That's obviously come in
1: quite a bit. Um, I've still got the old, uh, I've still got the old data up here as well. So what was he before? Like 105 and he sort of come into around 98. Um, So I mean, I still think that's value, personally. Um, So he's 85 on Yahoo. Yeah, I'd be reasonably comfortable taking him around there. I think think we did, like, I think the playoff Austin Reeves is closer to the Austin Reeves that we see, obviously. I think this is Mm -hmm. obvious. than the Austin Reeves we saw at the start of last season. Right. Um, So I think it's not like you're going to get that type of intensity out of him every single game, but sort of, you know, it goes back to that changing of the guard thing. He's younger, more energetic, competent. He can look after the ball. He can shoot. Uh, He makes game winning plays, even if he's not like hyper athletic, Uh, but for fantasy, you know, like he's going to score, he's going to score more points than he did last year. So I'd, I'd be thinking it's like closer to 20 points a game than, than 13 or whatever. I definitely think he's going to take up more of that scoring load. Um, He gets you assists, get the odd steal as well. I just think he's got a high IQ as a basketball player. I think actually, I think the Austin Reeves hype would have been even more if he wasn't in Team USA or if Team USA had actually uh, done what people expected them to do and (laughs) should have just been a piece of cake for those guys. But um so I think maybe the gloss came off a little bit um, with the team's performance. But, yeah, overall, uh, definitely, I mean, no question he's a draftable player. Um, actually, funnily enough, guess who's right ahead of him in the ADP data he's at 97? Oh, gosh, I don't know. D'Angelo Russell.
0: Oh, he is. So you got D'Angelo
1: Russell at 97. you got Austin Reeves at 98. I mean, I'd take Austin Reeves. Um, I'd take Austin Reeves there just because I think he's just a better player. Uh, I mean, I didn't mention the defense. Like, he's not hes not going to get you, um, uh, like, outsized steals, uh, steals and definitely not blocks. Um, but just like I test on the court, his defense is better than D'Angelo Russell's. And that's going I mean. He's going to get more minutes, particularly, you know, to close out games, um, to close out halves. He probably probably won't start over D'Angelo Russell, but I mean, how long is D'Angelo Russell even going to be on the Lakers for? You know what I mean? So I think, uh, I think the future is pretty bright for Austin Reeves. And uh, I think, yeah, I think he has a strong
0: season. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think that the 98 ADP is better and I'm more comfortable there than I am at an 85. And I mean, I can look, there may not even be anybody around. So Right above him is uh, Tyus Jones. After is McCollum, Marcus Smart, Middleton, Kuzma, Wiggins is the few guys after. And I think with Austin Reeves, I question where the improvement is coming from and how that affects the rest of his game. So a lot of, I mean, he was, like I said, really efficient last year, shot a high percentage. I mean, just looking at his basketball monster page, his uh, over the final two months of the season shot 57.7% from the field. Um, That was on. 8.7 attempts per game. So if the shots go up and, you know, people know about him now, I think he probably has more respect now than he did last season, especially during the regular season, probably has tougher shots, probably has tougher defense playing on him. He's taking more shots. So his percentages I'm assuming are going down his start to last season. I remember I, I was expecting him to be really good last year and he just, his role wasn't very big. He's been kind of passive. I mean, he doesn't shoot as much as you probably want him to, but he's just very efficient with what he does. Like you said, high IQ, really good basketball player. I just question, you know, playing with D'Angelo Russell and LeBron when they're on the court and other, I mean, Gabe Vincent's there as well. How many more assists is he getting per game with Anthony Davis there and LeBron there? And, you know, not the Christian Wood as some dominant rebounder, but how many rebounds, how many more rebounds is he getting per game? I, I can definitely see the scoring going up and more threes with probably a slight drop in, field goal percentage, probably more turnovers. I think it's, I think it balances itself out. I just, I could be totally wrong and I'm not rooting against him, but I just, to me, that massive breakout that maybe some people are expecting, I just don't see it.
1: Yeah. I'm not expecting him to leap into, you know, the top, uh, you know, the top three rounds um, (laughs) after this season. So I'm not expecting it's going to be so dramatic, but uh, I do sort of think he can get into that mix at some point. So maybe not this season, but maybe it is this season. But in the future, um, yeah, quite possibly.
0: Yeah. I yeah. I for Dynasty and looking ahead a few years, he's 25. I, I think everything I've seen, it's it's less looking at numbers and more, you know, I remember heading into last season, there was a quote where like the Lakers told him, Hey, go take a vacation. And he said, no, I'm just going to stay here and keep working. And it's like little things like that, that you don't really see, but he's an undrafted guy. So I guess you kind of expect that uh, work ethic from him for him to have made this far. He has to have something, but, um, we'll move on to the lake or the last Laker to talk about, which already mentioned D'Angelo Russell, uh, his FBI ADP is 97. Um, Last season, after he got to the Lakers, his opportunities kind of decreased. Um, if you look at basketball monster over the final two weeks of last se- season, he shot forty-five point five percent from the free throw line. So his um ranking was atrocious. But he's not been that bad of a free throw shooter throughout his career overall last season. He's 82.9. So when I'm when I'm talking about the bounce back, I think he was really, really bad in the playoffs, especially like there's a few games where they were, I mean, he was the reason that they lost some of the games against Denver. And then there was reports saying that, well, they're afraid to bench him because they don't want him to leave in free agency. And it's like, you'd rather sacrifice this series with a chance to go to the finals just to bring back D'Angelo Russell, who is costing you the, it just, it was weird. It didn't add up. Um, I, I presume he'll do better in the regular season than he did in the playoffs just because it's, Probably a little easier. And I just I'd be very shocked if he was as bad as he was. But is he a guy? You know, you said his ADP is 97. Is he do you think he can return that value this season?
1: Uh I do think that there is a scenario where he returns that value and possibly smashes it. Um, which is so the interesting thing to note with that contract that he signed is that um he signed a one plus one so uh two-year deal with player option on the end but usually when you sign a deal like that uh, there's a clause in those contracts which is sort of there by default which means that the team that's signing you can't trade you in the first year and d'angelo russell waived that he didn't need to waive it um hmm. it wasn't required uh, but he did waive it as part of signing onto that contract so probably says a few things like number one he wasn't going to get a contract that big anywhere else so his value uh isn't what it used to be you know he's not getting you know uh more than 20 million dollars a year that that just contract wasn't out there on the open market for it uh but two he's signed this deal with the lakers and then waived his no trade clause in in the understanding that he's likely going to be traded so one of the nuances of like um, cap space and all of that is if the Lakers just let him walk, that sort of salary slot on their team um, doesn't completely disappear, but they need to use their exceptions to re-sign other players, um, which would have reduced their flexibility because they, they re-sign D'Angelo. They don't need to use those exceptions. They can trade him for someone else and then still sign other players with, the, with, with, the, with their mid-level or whatever exceptions that they've that they've got. Um, and if they let him walk, they 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 aren't able to do that. So I think this signing, because um, to your point, tr- trash in the playoffs, um, he's not going to help them win a championship um, this year or in, in any other year. Um, so, you know, why bring him on? It's so that they can retain that slot and then bring someone else in mid-season. Now, if they're intending to trade him, where does he go? And what do they get back? So... You got teams like uh, maybe like a Utah Jazz who don't really have a, you know, a dedicated point guard. That's a team where like D'Angelo Russell could actually fit in pretty well. And whilst that team has playoff aspirations, they don't necessarily have championship aspirations. And to them, D'Russ is more of a, you know, a potentially like an expiring contract next year uh, which would allow them, once their guys have developed a bit more, maybe they got another decent draft pick under their belt, or I don't know that Utah is looking to do that this year, um, you know, enables them to maybe clear up a lot of cap room in a year or two and then bring in someone else. So I guess that's a really long-winded way of saying, you know, the Lakers signed him um, out of convenience, not out of his propensity to help them win a championship. I think the probability that it gets traded is greater than 50% and then where does he end up as a result of that trade um i think there's a pretty reasonable chance it's um you know a team like a, a utah jazz um who knows could uh, could end up somewhere like um uh, washington you know and um and then really just have the ball in his hands a lot um and get a lot of minutes and and really put out fantasy numbers to round off like the, like when it counts for us, which would be like sort of February, March when we're doing finals. So yeah, D-Russ could be a sneaky pick, but like that's a lot of if, buts and maybes to make that selection. So totally cool um, taking him in that sort of 100, 110 zone, um, but you know, if he ends up on my team, great. if not, um, I don't care. And probably I think Austin Reeves, you know, would also be a beneficiary in that scenario
0: like you know, D-Russ is out of town. Ozzie's going to get the ball more. Yeah. And even a guy like Gabe Vincent could slide into that starting spot, assuming they don't get another starting point guard back in any sort of trade. And he wasn't great for fantasy when he was playing a lot for the heat, but I mean, that's just another guy playing minutes. So could be something to keep an eye on. Yeah. But we'll move on to our next team, which is the warriors. Um, I will look at their records. They were 44 and 38 last year. Uh, beat the Kings in the first round uh, historic performance from Steph in that game seven, and then just ran into the Lakers and it was a, a team that went inside versus a team that shot threes. And it was, you know, the free throw discrepancy was insane, but it ended up being the Lakers coming out on top. The Warriors just kind of weren't able to, uh, I don't know, hit some of the shots that they have been able to in the past, weren't able to repeat as champions, but Obviously the main thing that happened this summer, um, because Dwight Howard hasn't signed yet, I know that that's probably going to end up being the main headline, but um, they traded Jordan Poole and a first and a second, like included picks to bring in Chris Paul, which just blew my mind value-wise that they had to attach picks to Jordan Poole to bring in Chris Paul. Um, I can see Chris Paul and, you know, the way that he is as a leader and as a basketball player, being able to adjust his game to fit with the Warriors. I can see the Warriors adjusting to his strengths and getting him pick and roll opportunities. But I, it's hard for me to imagine everything happening flawlessly the entire time where maybe Chris Paul gets the start, he gets to continue to get a ton of assists, get steals, be efficient with the basketball. And the warriors are also winning a ton of games. Everything's great. Um, it's hard for me to imagine all of that working out flawlessly. If there was a team to do it, it's going to be the freaking warriors who have just had everything kind of work out, not everything, but a lot of things work out well for them um, over the past almost decade now. So, up, up, how do you kind of see Chris Paul fitting in with this team? Is he going to start at point guard and move to to kind of shooting guard in a smaller lineup, or is he going to almost like <laughs> weird to say Chris Paul is a sixth man? Uh,
1: I think he's going to come – I think he's going to start um, as much as him coming off the bench would make sense. Uh, him coming off the bench makes sense because the Warriors have – I mean, for many seasons now, just absolutely struggled when um, Steph has been not on the floor. They've got an insane plus minus when Steph's on and then they've got a trash one when he's off. Um, So having Chris Paul coming in, running that second unit, um, that would actually, I think, be quite a valuable um, development um, for the Warriors, but I just don't think that's going to happen. I think that's an ego thing. I think he's going to start the season starting for them and to be honest it might work uh you know you got steph basically playing shooting guard at that point running around um you know chris i think he's skilled enough to learn how to get the ball to him to get the ball to clay played and played against them enough right so i'm not sort of as down on that fit as everyone else seems to be in terms of like the why of it all i think the steep price that was paid for chris paul wasn't actually necessarily paid for chris paul it was paid to get off jordan paul so you know his uh salary i think it's like 31 mil this season with the warriors being like pretty deep into the luxury tax i can't remember what the multiplier is but i think it's like four or five x so basically you know it's not costing the warriors 30 mil it's costing them like 150 mil for the season having on board obviously Chris coming in still's got a like a uh, I think his contract's more in that sort of fifteen to sixteen million range. You know, it's still going to cost them a pretty penny to have Chris on the roster, but you know, it's still a saving. You know, I'm, I'm just uh, I'm just sort of going from memory here, but like $70, 80 dollars saving is not nothing, and you can see why the Warriors um, sort of uh, wanted to get off pool. And the other thing, of course, is like pool, uh, as evidence in the playoffs, it's not quite there yet. Um, as a championship level, I mean, he's obviously won a championship, but he's not winning you a championship, which you know for that kind of money is what you would want. I'm not saying Chris would either, but you know it's coming at half the price. So um, there you go. So in terms of what do I think Chris's fit is, I think it actually could be pretty good, either in the first unit, but even better in the second unit. He won't start in the in the second unit, but he might end up there to to complete the season. Um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see how that one and um, that one plays out. But yeah, I totally understand um, why the Warriors made that trade, and uh, and from the um, from the Wizards side, you know, Chris Paul and their team made absolutely no sense. For, so for them to get Jordan Poole first and the second, um, you know, as part of that um, deal with the Suns, uh,
0: sort of extensively, uh, then yeah, that's that's a good piece of business for them. Yeah, I I agree with the trade happening in order to get off his contract. I didn't know all the – you know, you seem to be more understanding of the the salary cap nuances. I didn't realize all of that, but I knew that it was, okay, they realized they messed up with the Jordan Poole contract. We need to figure something out. To me, it was he earned the contract because of how he played as a starter. And if you look at the numbers between – not like this past postseason versus the the postseason before, when they won the finals, he shot – 50.8% 50.8% from the field, 39% from three, 915 percent from the line. Last year it was 34.1 from the field, 25.4 from the, from three, 76.5 from the line, like just significantly worse in the playoffs than he was the year before. So I, I get it. I just, I question. It's like you paid him all this money because he was really, really good as a starter. And if you look at the difference between his numbers as a starter versus coming off the bench last year, It was – I mean, he was really good. I think he averaged like 24 points per game as a starter. So I think that, you know, Wizards win that deal pretty handily because I'm like, is the difference in the value – like aside from the contract aspect, is the difference in the value that much between Jordan Poole and a 38- or 39-year-old Chris Paul that you now probably have to adjust the way you play to be able to work that out because if you're – I, I see, you know, you talk about the offense working. I think you, know, you could be running pick and rolls with Chris Paul and Draymond Green where either Chris Paul is able to find Steph or Clay, or or dump it off to Draymond and let him create. Like, you, I think that can definitely work out. It's probably a little bit of a different offense because previously it was a lot of off-ball movement. I just can't see Chris Paul just totally sacrificing everything and becoming – Really good off the ball. Like I'm, I'm sure he'll adjust his game to be able to do that. But I mean, just nobody else in the league is moving off ball the way Steph and Clay are pretty consistently. I think my question is, how is this working defensively? You know, I, I think he will start the season in the starting lineup. Like you said, kind of a pride thing. It would, it would feel weird to me for Chris Paul to be coming off the bench. Like you said, it's Chris Paul. Like he's, you're not gonna. It doesn't matter how old LeBron is. Like it would feel weird for LeBron to come off the bench. That obviously not saying Chris Paul is as good as LeBron, but he's like that same caliber of of player um, where it's like the elite status name, but defensively is, you know, Draymond is an incredible defender, but if they're playing a team like a Denver or, or Denver, I think is the best example where it's Draymond. Sure. He can probably compete against Jokic. Draymond's one of the best defenders in the league, but then that leaves Andrew Wiggins matching up with Aaron Gordon. And then, I mean, Aaron Gordon's bigger, like he's, Probably outmuscling Andrew Wiggins, and you know there are schemes and ways to adjust. The Warriors have been a good defensive team, but is Chris Paul and Steph Curry able to slow down Jamal Murray in the backcourt? How many good looks is Michael Porter Jr. getting? So I think if it's a situation like that, you just you kind of have to start Kevon Looney to be able to for- figure that out. So I think to start the season, Chris Paul probably a starter. As the season goes on, it'll it might be more matchup dependent. And I think to me, it's, it's not going to be a very consistent role for Chris Paul, which makes me kind of shy away from him in fantasy.
1: Yeah, man, I agree with all of that. Um, I think the final word I'll say on this whole um, Chris Paul thing is like, to me, it's just the, you know, that trade is just like the, it's it's an acceptance that the two time long strategy wasn't going to work. So... They started on the 2 timeline strategy. They win a championship, which was at the time sort of seen as like a vindication. But then actually it turns out it's not because you're, you've got, you know, you've got the the Splash Brothers, we can talk about in a minute, Draymond. They really want to get to that fifth title. You know, that's sort of what separates the wheat from the chaff sort of um. You know, you've got Jordan with six. You've got a few other players like Kobe and others with five. Uh, then you've got a whole lot of guys who have got four. So you can see why it would be important to, you know, those guys that basically build the dynasty um, to, to get that fifth title. And they're just not going to do that on this two-timeline approach. And I think the idea, you know, Warriors HQ was, you know, Jordan Poole is a cornerstone of, you know, the, the, the next iteration of the Warriors. And it just was like it's not that they didn't value him, or you know that his play in the playoffs um, was the the reason for him sort of getting unceremoniously dumped. I think it's more just like an acceptance that, right? um, You know, if we are really going to try and get another championship here, we need to sort of put out like push our chips into the middle, dispense with the two timeline thing, and then for that reason, you know, um, you got to think like a Kaminga. Uh, a, a Moody, um, you know, they might be they might be pushed into the middle as well throughout the season um, to get more veteran help. And you know what? If Chris Paul isn't working out, he's tradable. So, you know, like a, a Kaminga, a Chris Paul uh, and a Moody, you know, they could probably ladder up to a pretty decent contributor um, to help with a, with the a playoff push. And obviously that would sort out any of the starting
0: five issues um, that we're talking about. Yeah. And maybe yeah. Dwight Harrod will just come in and just take the starting center spot anyway. So maybe we'll be, uh, maybe we don't have to discuss it anymore. <laughs> uh, but we'll talk about, move on to the splash bros. Um, will they stay hot? I think is, is even really a question. I i guess I just kind of put it on there. Like, will they, but I don't think anybody's not taking Steph probably around that pick seven, pick eight range because when he's on the floor, he's going to be incredible. Um, he only played 56 games last year. And I think, Um, while I'm looking at this, it's kind of been similar. So 64 and 63, the two years before, and the year before that he played five games, got hurt, didn't play anymore. Um, Clay ended up playing in 69 games last year at 33 minutes per game, which was pretty insane to me, considering how much time he's missed over the past two and a half years. Um, And I expected him to be probably more in that 55-ish range for how many games he played. So he also, which was pretty incredible hit, his hit a career high for, I think total threes and threes per game last year at 4.4 per game. So he's still shooting from deep as well as he ever has. I mean, he's got the ultimate trigger finger and just pulls it every single time he touches the basketball, but do you see any drop-off starting from them as they are kind of continuing to age, maybe facing a little bit like more injuries? I think has kind of happened as well. Do you see any sort of drop-off?
1: Uh, yeah, it's funny because this it just will fly in the face of everything I said about LeBron before. But uh, yeah, I do. I definitely do. I think I think LeBron is a sort of unique in his, uh, his sort of the regimen that he uh, pursues to look after his body. And I'm not saying like Steph and Clay don't do that. Um, obviously, they would be looking after themselves really well as well. Um, Clay, I mean, there's a lot of. Um, chit-chat um, emanating from Warriors, oh, Clay looks great. Clay looks so good. Um, you know, he's looking great coming into the season. Um, so, yeah, look, while I don't doubt that both of them can have a quite a productive season, that Steph can be sort of, a you know, a round one guy, um, that Clay can outperform his ADP, which I believe is um, sort of around that 100 mark. Yeah, 94, so right in that zone with Austin Reeves. Um, while I think, uh, so that was 94 in the old, now 93. So yeah, basically same in that. So I think he could probably outperform that if all goes well. Um, I'm still wary of drafting both of them. Um, I think that there's going to be, I think, so last year, I think this is where it's coming from. Cause I have really thought it through, but, uh, last year, they obviously had a very choppy regular season, right? So they, but, but couldn't, wasn't, Away games, they just couldn't win away games, no matter what was happening. Um, There was, I mean, like you get to the end of the season and, you know, they could have finished anywhere in the sort of five to nine range. There was the prospect of them having to go in the play-in. Obviously, the Lakers ended up having to do that. But I think there's going to be a focus on just being more consistent through the regular season. And I think what comes along with that, and obviously Chris Paul coming in will contribute to that as well. Um, Andrew Wiggins really sort of coming back into the mix for a full regular season and contribute to that as well. So I think I think they're going to have that mentality of, like, let's be more like the 78-win Warriors than last year's Warriors, more of a focus on the regular season. And then, unfortunately, I think that actually may be detrimental um, in the long run. So depends how... Steve Kern, uh, you know, the, the, the Warriors manager, um, sort of view it and how they play the guys and, you know, they're smashing them, you know, 35 a night or do they sort of cycle through other players to give them a bit more rest? And I don't know. My sense and sort of unfounded on, any, on anything other than what I've just been saying is that um, they look to come out of the gates hot, get off to a good start, um, sort of be up around the top of uh, the Western Conference to, to kick things off. And they might actually just sort of, like, push it that little bit too far, and you know, one or the other of them is missing time. So, uh, not very scientific, um, but uh, that's sort of what my gut feeling is.
0: Yeah, i I would agree. I think that there, it's going to be interesting to kind of see. You know, last year it was they did, their depth. I feel like because they were trying to do this two timeline thing, they didn't necessarily trust or weren't able to rely on some other guys as much as maybe they could have. And that's why, you know, I mean, Steph had some just insane performances uh for like a long stretch of time and then had to miss a bunch of games because of injury. I, I personally, I don't know if there's probably many people that feel differently, but I see clay starting. I mean, he already is starting to drop off from what he was a few years ago, but I definitely see him slowing down before Steph does. But I think it's just Steph missing games. He's just not, I mean, suffering little injuries here and there to cause them to either miss a couple games or a couple weeks at a time. So it's, but kind of with that, it's interesting. Uh, The Yahoo ADP for Steph is 6.6. I don't know if you have the FBI one, but I think there's a difference to me before or like between kind of where I'd rank players and when I'm actually in the draft room, kind of where I'd take them. Cause you mentioned like, you know, you might be hesitant to take both Clay or Steph, Um, If you look at ADPs, Steph is probably going pick seven, like definitely in the top seven. Some people are even taking him ahead of SGA. And when he's on the court, I don't necessarily have an issue with that. He's one of the best players in fantasy when he's on the court. If I were getting into a draft and I had pick seven and the first six were Jokic and B, Luka, Tatum, Halliburton, SGA, I don't know for certain that I would take Steph at seven. And that just might be me. Maybe you're just totally like, well, you know, you, yeah, no, he's obviously 7th, but having Giannis right there below him in ADP's um I might even go Giannis over him and I would be hesitant to take Steph not because like I said he's going to be great when he's on the floor but he him and KD tend to get the uh like more of a pass when it comes to injuries and missing games than guys like Anthony Davis and Paul George and Kawhi those guys get hammered and you're you know they're saying everybody's oh there's too much of an injury risk but katie and steph more so katie than steph misses quite a few games as well and they tend to get forgotten about as guys that are not necessarily at quite as durable. i don't know how, if you agree with that
1: oh i totally agree yeah it's funny how similar situations for different players get treated completely different ways but yeah. um the one thing i will say is that like I don't like that. I don't want to be in that seven to nine range on any <laughs> any, any draft that I'm doing. Um, yeah, give me top six. Give me uh, yeah, pick eleven or twelve. Maybe yeah, even a ten. But seven to nine, um, not really happy with it. I mean, yeah, I probably wouldn't. I I actually I actually have leaned away from Steph for years now. Um, hmm. Actually, probably hurt me quite a few times. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've sort of foreshadowed a sort of a drop-off from him. Um, there's been those couple of seasons or that one season that you referenced in particular where he missed a lot of games. Um, I've just never necessarily felt comfortable taking him so high. But then if you're picking 10, 11, 12 and he's still there, Oh yeah. Then it feels like really good value. So um yeah. So as far as uh as far as taking Steph's concerned, for me it's it's a it's a little bit later in the first round.
0: Yeah. We'll move on to Andrew Wiggins because I feel more passionately about that one. Um okay I, I don't know how you feel about Andrew Wiggins, but um I guess if you're able to pull up his ADP, which everything I've my seen truth. is in my opinion, Wiggins ADP is just significantly lower than it probably should be. Um He was, so he had the really good playoff performance when they won the finals. After that, he said, you know, I think, I think he was talking about, you know, figuring out rebounding easier than he realized, or he's better at rebounding when he actually tries. It's like, it took you like eight years to figure that out, but whatever, as long as you finally figured it out. And he talked about wanting to make an all defensive team this past season, Obviously he missed the stretch of games because of an injury. And then I believe injury led into an illness. And then he ended up missing the last two months of the regular season for personal issues. Played in the playoffs wasn't the same, but that first 20 games of the regular season averaged 18.6 points, 5.3 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 1.4 steals, 0.8 blocks, 2.9 threes. He was 25th in nine cap value while shooting 69.2% from the line just two attempts but i thought he was awesome to start last season and then got his season was derailed by injury illness personal reasons and then now he should be healthy should be back and if you can just what's his adp for the fbi drafts 102 yeah i just i to me that is insanely low and not saying oh his ADP is 102, go take him at 60. But I'm saying, I think if you're getting him in that range or slightly earlier, he has like the potential to totally blow that ADP out of the water and just really be better.
1: Yeah, well, actually, I haven't heard a description of Wiggins like the one you just gave, I think, ever before. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that, that sort of sways me a little bit. Um, I might sort of bump him up my personal board a bit after hearing that. But for me, I sort of, I guess I'm jaded by the last 10 years of Wiggins, which has been very (laughs) poor percentages and basically no, like very, very little steals and blocks. So, yeah, going to bring you some points and um, some of the other peripheral stats, but um, that was about it. And I also thought that, you know, as a number one pick uh, and, you know, the guy that, you know, I guess everyone had a very different view of him, um, you know, after his... A bit like before he came into the NBA, with him going number one, uh, sort of a letdown, and uh, you know didn't really kind of ever live up to the hype or put it all together for one season. So I guess I've never really seen it out of him to the degree that I feel comfortable taking him inside the top one hundred. I certainly had him even probably a little bit lower down my board than than one hundred and two. Um, I don't think I've really got him in any any spots anywhere, but um, yeah. That's very interesting about that start to last season and if he can replicate that. I think joining the Warriors, he definitely sort of matured as an individual and that sort of uh, greater focus on self-discipline and so on, Um, you know, and being a team player, fitting into the scheme um, and putting in 100%, 100%, I think that's really the difference for me. So we did see it out of him in playoffs and, um, and you're saying that uh, we saw it out of him at the beginning of last season. so yeah, absolutely if he can sort of replicate that moving into this season he he's definitely going to outperform that value
0: yeah I've, you mentioned you know the past however many years of Andrew Wiggins playing I think that's my my benefit from only really keeping up with fantasy basketball the way I do for like the past two years is I don't have necessarily that bias against him from being I don't know either burned by him or having to look at him just do, nothing but score for years, I guess, being newer to it, all I've seen is Andrew Wiggins on the Warriors. So maybe that's why it's easier for me to uh, look at him in a positive light. Oh,
1: yeah. Like I think one sort (laughs) of trend in fantasy is like you're more likely to revert to the mean than you are to like maintain a breakout Mm -hmm. uh, or improve upon one. Um, So uh, definitely I think as a a fantasy basketball manager – uh, having that that um, sort of like the, the more the longer you've been doing it for you see you see trends at a more macro level so you can get that bird's eye view and um, you sort of uh, would have less faith in someone like an Andrew Wiggins and perhaps someone that's coming in new and I could probably point to uh, a few dozen players at least that fit that mold.
0: Yeah. No, I'm, yeah. I'm sure it, it definitely bites me sometimes. Sometimes maybe, maybe this one will work out. I don't know. Maybe I'm uh just like a Brooke Lopez,
1: guy. Right. Like uh, you know, if you'd just been playing fantasy for one year, you'd think Brooke Lopez was a, like a, a monster and you'd be. So you I know, shouldn't take him in the third round. Nah, Yeah. You'd be fucking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So anyway, that's an aside. Um, what's the next question we've got here? Will the young guys break out? Hmm. I don't know about breaking out, mate. Um, I think Moody could get a bit more run than he has because he basically got zero run last year um, Then weirdly featured in the playoffs, um, in the rotation there. I mean, they needed to do that. Um, So it's about time that he got a bit more of an opportunity. And then it's the same for Kamingo. He's got all the sort of the right tools to be a really intriguing uh, fantasy player. Um, but, like, I guess what it boils down for me, again, is just sort of like looking back at the last 10 years and what does the Warriors do? What does Steve Kerr do? Like, their MO is not to allow those players the breathing room, the opportunity they need to really break out and show what they can do because that involves, like, making mistakes and doing the wrong thing and losing games. So I think you're more likely to see sort of, uh, you know, Gary Payton in third getting you know minutes and um uh you know the uh, Dario Saric getting minutes and um and that kind of thing um you know like so like where if you sort of removed those two guys from the rotation and was like right um, Moody Kaminga um you know you you get those minutes you add them to the ones you've already got then yeah they like you could see one of them turn that corner and break out. But unfortunately, I just don't think that's going to happen um, on the Warriors, and particularly now that they're sort of pivoted away from the dual timeline, I think it's just much more likely that when we see them break out, it's just not on the Warriors. So actually, technically, will any of these young guys break out? Maybe if they're traded. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat. It's kind of a make or break year for those guys, I think, unless they come into the season and they've just drastically improved over the summer and the Warriors, Steve Kerr, is ready to have them be a big part of the rotation, but I don't really see that happening. Given that they haven't really lost anybody, they only added Chris Paul. I guess kind of replaced Jordan Poole with him. So, Draymond Green's there. Kaminga's not going to get a ton of minutes. Clay Thompson's there. Moses Moody's not going to get a ton of minutes. Agreed. Unless there's a trade, like it's probably until they're traded, they're just going to be stuck in no man's land. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's
1: right. Uh, I think even like an injury to um, like, you know, God forbid, Clay Thompson gets injured, maybe even uh, maybe like even an injury wouldn't be sufficient to give them that opportunity.
0: Yeah, because Steve Kerr might just roll with a veteran. But uh, we'll move on to the Kings and we can maybe do this and then we can end up doing the rest specific division on another one. Does that sound good to you? Do yeah, that? let's do that. Let's
1: um let's let's
0: go through the kings here. Uh
1: break this up into a two-parter. Um, and then uh, what are we doing next? Or what are you doing next? I think it's uh South, what is it, South Southwest Division? Maybe maybe uh, maybe we can get that one cracking um, along with the other teams. Try
0: and keep these pods to around about an hour. Yeah, that's uh Generally, been my goal, I've been talking with Adam about that is uh, when we've done podcasts is trying to keep them around an hour, if not shorter, because I end up just talking, getting off on tangents and I lose track of time. But uh, yeah. we will... well, I reckon uh, like uh, two
1: podcasts, one, like right, the two hour podcast and you release it in one hit or you do two podcasts and the part one and part two and they're released on successive days. I think my preference across all pods is probably for the latter.
0: All right, we well, can do yeah. that. Do you want to uh save the kings yeah, let's for the roll next through these, Let's roll through these kings, um, and um and then we'll and then we'll wrap it up. We'll do it. All right. So the first one is De'Aaron Fox progression or regression. He was awesome last year, was a big reason that they were able to end their playoff drought, three seed in the West. Uh, do you see him either repeating his performance from last year, p- potentially getting better? Or like we just kind of talked about when we were talking about Andrew Wiggins, him kind of regressing back to what's been more of the norm for for him, um, which is not as great for category leagues. Or do you see this kind of staying?
1: I say it's staying. Um, I thought last season was overdue um, for De'Aaron Fox. Uh, I think in the preceding seasons, uh, there were – different extenuating circumstances that perhaps uh, led to his underperformance. So whether it be injury or scheme or uh, the other players on the roster that were coming in, um, I think um, De'Aaron wasn't able to like fully spread his wings. And again, like I sort of revert back to the eye test, um, It just sort of has always looked better than he has performed. Uh, A lot of that has had to do with his free throw percentage, I think, um, Over, I mean, historically, uh, which he sort of addressed to a certain degree last year, not completely. Um, So in terms of, uh, you know, will he maintain last year's performance? I would say yes. I would say he certainly will. Um, Obviously, health is a big factor there, so it's on the presumption that he's healthy. Um, and And I actually think that there's room for him to continue to improve. So whether that's going to be from an increased free throw percentage his field goals already pretty good from memory. Uh, and then and, and, or whether that's going to be from maybe hitting more threes. Um, yeah, I certainly think that yeah, the same or better is what we can expect from Fox assuming health.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think I agree with that. I'm probably a little bit more pessimistic about it. I think he's got a chance to repeat, but I think that's probably the best we'll see out of him. I don't see him adding a ton to his threes. The free throw percentage was 78 last year, 75 the year before, and then 71.9 the year before that. So could he maintain the 78? Yeah. He shot over 50% from the field for the first time in his career last year. I think those are things that he can maintain, but I it might be harder for him to take another leap forward. I think last year the Kings came into the season as the Kings, the same team they've been for the past almost 20 years where it's like, oh, it's just the Kings. So there was less of a target on their back. And now they probably have more respect around the league. So it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where he like personally improves a ton because he took a leap last year, which was part of why they got back to the playoffs in my opinion. It's hard for me to see him taking – Another leap forward. Could he do it? Maybe. But to me, I think it's more likely that he's slightly worse this season than better. Mm,
1: yeah. Well, I think that there's definitely like factors that could in- increase him to be better, but most of that's probably like, well, what did he do in his off-season? Did he yeah. shoot <laughs> like 20,000 free throws and now he's nailing them at 85%? Like that would, that would help. Um, did he put on a little bit more like upper body strength to help him do more damage above the rim, I think uh, he's already pretty good um, in that zone, but um, I think a bit more strength, he could be better. Um, So, yeah, I I see that there is scope for some incremental improvement, but I don't think it's like, um, you know, he's launching up into the sort of, you know, the first round or two.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, we'll move on to Keegan Murray, who hit, set the record for threes hit in a season by a rookie last year, um, finished outside the top 100 in 9-cat, still played 80 games. Really, he hit a bunch of threes last year, and that's about it for fantasy. He was kind of okay everywhere else. He didn't do much off the dribble. Um, I'm just trying to remember. A, I saw a tweet, something that like incredibly small percentage of his shots were <laughs> off the dribble or unassisted. So he has room to grow in that area and can become more dangerous as a scorer. Do you see that in his future or, I mean, he's on the same team as Harrison Barnes so I'm not trying to directly compare them because I don't think that's necessarily the case, but last year we saw him be a really good source of threes and that's about it. How much better can he get? I know it was just a rookie season, but where do you kind of see for him?
1: Uh, definitely room to grow. Um, just that, could possibly come with just more of an opportunity. Just getting more minutes, um, more usage um, would uh, allow him to improve his uh, overall fantasy rank. I think uh, like sort of um, zooming out, you know, what could he become? The comp that springs to my mind is actually um, Clay Thompson. Um, Certain similarities between those two guys. I mean, he's not the movement shooter at this point that Clay is, but I sort of see that in his game um he's kind of a like a he's kind of pretty well built like you know he's he's quite he's quite tall he's quite broad um possibly even more so than clav would have to look up those metrics to to confirm that but um yeah i think i think uh sort of like a higher scoring you know more than 20 points per game three threes a game maybe pushing toward four um you know he's uh he' got the tools to be a decent defender which would help him stay on the court more um we've certainly seen some interesting things from him in summer league particularly well I mean dominated this year but it was uh, it was the MVP of summer league last year I believe um which was I mean it was just uh, revelatory to watch him play because he f- freaking dominated um in that in that summer league so yeah I, I sort of I, I do think that um I do think he's going to be better this season than he was last season. Uh, it's probably just more points and more threes with more opportunity coming his way, more so than adding on the things that we really want to see, which is more like you know, can he pass it a bit? Can he get some boards? Um, you know, and, and can he can he can he give us some defensive numbers or better defensive numbers than he already has? Um, so yeah, look, I think I think top fifty is definitely on the cards for him. Does he get there this year? Uh probably not. Uh, but does he outperform what he did last year? I'd say yes.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. If you look at his summer league numbers, he averaged one thirty-five points, four and a half threes. Probably, yeah. you know, probably not gonna do that. But yeah. he did average one point five steals and two blocks. So he's not gonna do that, but he showed the upside, maybe. I know it's summer league that's not translating, like it's just not, but he showed the ability to maybe add a little bit defensively. So maybe we could see him get to a steal per game and maybe almost a block per game. I mean, he was half a block, 0.8 steals as a rookie. So that little bit of defensive value will help. But yeah, I agree. Any Whether he gets the top 50 or top 75, it's going to be because of his points and because of his threes. I think that's kind yeah. of where his value is going to come from. Um, if we move on, so Kevin Herter, is he worth a late round pick? I think his Yahoo ADP was around 124. I don't know if you have his FBI one, but last year he was a top hundred player in nine cat kind of like Keegan Murray. A lot of his value came from hitting threes. Uh, he did average over a steal per game as well. Um, which I believe, okay. So he did that one other time in his career for the Hawks, but he seemed to fit in flawlessly playing alongside Sabonis, alongside Fox in Sacramento. And I like his upside. I think he's I mean, he's still young. He fits in well as a scorer. I don't know how much better he gets. But to me, I think I included this. And it's more like – to me, it's an obvious yes that he's worth a late-round pick. And I'm questioning why is he not going maybe a little bit earlier.
1: Oh, well, I can shed some light on that because um, I mean, he's going – His ADP is 123.8, which gives him a rank of 127 with the FBI uh, based on the FBI drafts. Um, So, you know, if he's – okay, so number one, like if I'm looking at any sort of um, statistics, I'm sort of immediately filtering out turnovers, and I think that would drop him down sort of more into that like 120-ish range. Mm -hmm. I know he definitely had some weeks where, because he wasn't on any of my teams last season, but definitely had some weeks where I was playing against uh, teams that had him on the roster and I cursed his name because he was putting up good numbers for them. Um, but the reason I think he's probably a bit lower um, than you would expect is like typically in that area of the draft where you're sort of coming into round um, you know, round 10, well, finishing round 10, coming into round 11, Um and then that's where I'm sort of not necessarily drafting for players that will d- definitely be on my team at the end of the season. That's where I, I tend to like start to take uh, more of a punt on upside, like a like very heavy punt on upside. So, give you an idea of what I mean. Um, Shaden Sharp's at 122, Kevin mm-hmm. Huerta is at 127. Like, I'm going Shaden Sharp there every day of the week, and that's just because, you know, my view, yeah, Kevin Herder could finish, you draft him 127, he could finish like 100 or 90, 95, something like that, whereas Shaden Sharp, you draft him there at 122, he could end up being like, I mean, best-case scenario, like, you know, fifth-round guy or something something along those lines. So just more scope, more upside there. Um, And then, you know, some other guys sort of going in that area um, that fit that same build, like a weird one is, Yusuf Merkich, like um, sort of polar opposite to Sharp in terms of sort of age and experience, even though they are on the same team. Um, but, you know, he's already had top 50 seasons. So, um, and he's on a, you know, he's the only centre on, like viable centre on that Portland team. So, I mean, I'd rather do that. I mean, Zach Collins is at 114 with an ADP of 118. Like I'd take him 10 times out of 10. He yeah. of i um, herder heard of there. And then even like a Denny um the uh, Terry Eason and Thompson, um, Asad Thompson, Jeremy Sohan. So like, they're the guys in that range. And to me, they all present like substantially uh, more possibility of um, giving, like being that league winning pickup. Um, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's very fair. Um, I think looking at some of the guys, that are in that same range. Like, yeah, some of them I would definitely, I'm just, I have Yahoo's right up in front of me. That's why I keep referencing them. But like Mark yeah. Williams is right, a, like a pick or two ahead. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take Mark Williams over Kevin Herter every time. But <laughs> Malcolm Brogdon's also similar. And it's like RJ Barrett, Russell Westbrook is like practically a round ahead of Kevin Herter. And I'm like, eh, I don't if think Mark I'm Morgan's doing that. Down at 120
1: in the league that you're in, you know, you're, you're, pl- you're
0: undervaluing your own. <laughs> And prowess every uh every mock draft i've done it in with just randomly joining a yahoo one i've been able to get mark williams and zach collins past past like like around this range and i'm like wow this uh, it's giving me false hope because i know it's not going to happen when i, say I don't know that how people can in, enjoy but, enjoy that like they playing in those types
1: of leagues because it's like okay yeah, i mean maybe you're just taking money people's money for for jam but yeah <laughs> to me it's just like i don't it's like a hollow victory you know
0: yeah, I want, to, fair. I, want
1: to, I want to feel my victory.
0: Yeah. Um, so the last one just to talk about, and it might end up being rather quick, and just to be clear, this doesn't include Demonis Sabonis. I know we haven't talked about him, and I say, is anyone else worth drafting? That's not asking if Sabonis is worth drafting. Um, but is anybody else on this team kind of, I mean, you have Sabonis, Fox, Herter, Keegan-Murray. I've got one that you didn't mention there. get okay. um, a guess? I'm if it's not Malik Monk or Harrison Barnes, then maybe I'm It's just Malik right. Monk. Yeah. Malik <laughs> Monk. Uh, I, I actually am taking him
1: in the last round of uh, quite a number of draft onlys. Um, I think so obviously, um, well, maybe it's not obvious, but you know, drafted by Charlotte is like a mid lottery pick. I think around eight or nine mm-hmm. uh, underperformed versus expectation, but, like, pretty obviously, had that sort of NBA body, um, but was just, I sort of, in my view, not in a great situation. Like, just look at the dysfunction of Charlotte. Um, look at some of the stuff that's going on there. Look at Book Night, for example, and how that sort of has played out. You know, I don't think we can put the Miles Bridges situation onto Charlotte, but um, I do think it's a hasn't been the most tightly run organization sort of always had Monk um, as someone that would be a really worthy second draft guy. And then I think that was sort of vindicated when he went off um, to the Lakers and then had that one season with them when he played really well. I thought I saw uh, even more evidence to suggest that he actually is a good basketball player, and built well, built for the NBA. And I was sort of a bit irritated actually when he signed with the Kings. Like I'm happy for him that he got a good contract, but... You're just going to be buried amongst all of those players on that roster and not really get much of a run. And that was sort of the case, like for much of last year, you know, some games he's playing more minutes, some games he's kind of playing less. But what I was really encouraged by with him is just his playoff performance. Like I think there were games there where or pretty much all those games with the Warriors, you know, he was a difference maker um, for the Kings. You know, he was, he was more effective than Sabonis, honestly, in, in a lot of those in a lot of those um situations. And I my view, um, having watched all of those games, um, and having watched a lot of NBA is just the eye test again is like I think he just hit another level in the playoffs. Uh, and I think that could actually be maintained into this season. I think, yeah, Harry Barnes is another year older. And I I think they just signed him. Did they just sign him to another contract? I can't I think remember. They did. I think they, they did, did. Yeah, basically the same contract that he had. But he's his star is on the wane. Um, I think Monk. I think Monk sort of carries like. I know it was only just like a little snapshot those those playoff games, but I think at an organizational level, you see that, and that does carry forward into the next season. So I think even with like a Chris Pilate coming on board. Um, even with, um, you know, Kevin um, heard of being sort of healthier, um, they're bringing back, uh, you know, Trey Lyles and the like. I still think Monk gets more minutes, gets more crunch time um, this season. Uh, and I think that he has a path to uh, sort of carving out a more substantial role um, in the NBA than we've seen in the past. And whether it's um, on the Kings or ultimately on another team, like in another season, uh, I think Monks is a, a player that's going to be um, sort of um, on, like on an NBA team for for quite some time um, to come. And I just would not be surprised if we see a quote-unquote, you know, breakout season from him this year where he's getting more minutes, uh, more usage and making more of a consistent impact than he has in the past. And for that reason, I'm totally comfortable taking him in the last round um, or you know last round or two of um of any draft I, like uh i don't know that's a hot take i haven't had anyone else sort of um talk my cup like that but that's something
0: that i 100 believe yeah i i like him as a talent i like him as a player i like him as a last round kind of flyer option i don't know if it comes down to it depending on the draft whether i would take him or not but like i i'm not mad that you're saying that you would take him i think it's mm. I think it's good. And I think it could definitely work out all. I mean, if Kevin Herter gets hurt, Malik Monk's going to come right in be the starter, but yeah. he'll at least be the sixth man and play huge minutes. So yeah, I yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, so we will, I guess be doing a part two uh, for yeah. the Suns and clippers. So I wore my clippers hat, but I guess I'll have to wear it again next time. But um, before we go B-dub, what does uh, FBI have coming up? All right. So World Cup
1: uh, is filling quickly. There's plenty of opportunities um, to get in there before it's completely full. Half the invites have gone out already. Uh, I'm going to do another quarter of the invites later this afternoon, uh, which means that there's um, something in the order of, uh, there's probably about 150 more to distribute. I'll be looking to fill that up um, over the next like over the next week, so by this time next week, uh, World Cup will be completely full. So if you are still interested in getting in the World Cup, um, go into the World Cup Access Channel. There's a form. There's some duck emojis. Fill that in. That's going to be your best chance to get in there. Uh, and if you haven't, if you've been accepted into the World Cup, you haven't got your invite yet. Just chill. Um, invite's coming later today. <laughs> um, second thing is the standard redraft leagues are going to be launching. Um, like within the next few days, maybe today, maybe on Monday, but that's going to be head to head, nine cat, you know, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. We'll probably have a big buy in, 500, maybe 1,000. We're going to have Roto, eight cat, and nine cat this year. Um, there will be a few points leagues. There will be a couple of auction leagues. Um, but I guess the bottom line on that is those leagues tend to feel fast. Uh, and then if you're sort of late to jump on board, you might not get exactly what you want. So, um, you know I, at the end of the season I'll get like t- close to um, October like you know the kick off the kickoff season I might get like people saying oh I really wanted to be in a hundred dollar league can you do another hundred dollar league might not be able to get the demand to fill another one at that stage but if you jump in at the start you can pretty much just like have your pick of whatever you want so like jump onto those uh, as quickly as possible. Um, And that's probably, like, the two main things, World Cup and the the, the standard redraft leagues. Um, Yeah, so other than that, we've obviously got um, our podcasts. Um, You know, uh, Adam is actually going away um, for a couple of weeks. Um, So his podcasting over those next few weeks is going to be in Europe, will be slightly less than normal. I might actually jump on and do an episode or two with Doc in his absence. Um, Matt is planning to get his podcast um, uh, up and running, uh, in, like a bit like uh, more frequently um, in the next um, like in the next couple of weeks after he's sort of rounded off all of his sort of um, uh, off-season dynasty activity, um, which I'm for one looking forward to. Um, and then other than that, I think you know if just to stay up on all the latest stuff at FBI, best place for that is in our um, Discord server. There is a link to join in my, um, on my Twitter bio at Hidden Upside. Otherwise you can get it from our website, fbibasketball.com. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it, mate. That's um, that's sort of what's happening with us at the moment.
0: Yeah. I'm excited for the world cup. My uh, I'm looking to do a lot better than I did last year. I think I made it in last year and I'm pretty sure that it went absolutely horribly, but yeah, I, had, um, I was drafted 12
1: and I took Damon Steph and I thought I'm like this is it? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get,
0: I'm gonna do really well this year. Didn't even make it out of the division. Oh goodness, yeah. I, I know that. I don't even remember what my team was like in that one, but I know it went really, really bad. But, um, <laughs> B Dub, thank you for joining me. You guys that are listening, are uh, if you're watching it, our Twitters or X, if you want to call it X, but our Twitter accounts, our are, uh, are on the screen. But if not, follow B Dub at Hidden Upside. Uh, Follow me at noruben 22 like, rate, review this podcast, share it with your friends, uh, whatever you want to do. But uh, thank you all for listening. And B-Dub, thank you for joining me. You're welcome.
1: You just listened to another episode from the Fantasy Basketball International Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. And for more information
0: about joining our community, please check out our website at fbibasketball.com.